Good morning, good afternoon. My name is Trey Schaefer. I'm a senior partner with Environmental Resources Management, and I spend most of my time focused on the topics of sustainability and climate for the oil and gas sector. As part of its sustainability journey, SPE founded Gaia nearly a year ago in collaboration with many, including IPICA, IOGP, OGCI, and our sister society, AAPG. Its basic premise is to help ensure that the oil and gas industry comes out on the right side of history, valued for our contributions, yet agile and imaginative enough to evolve with changing expectations of our role in society. At our first Gaia Summit in France during the summer of 2019, which seems like a lifetime ago, 55 of us began to co-create a sustainability blueprint that will mobilize the individuals in the oil and gas industry. One of the many outcomes of that effort was a collaboration between SPE and OGCI to create a series of dialogues between thought leaders on climate change in the oil and gas industry and the broader oil and gas community around the world. Our aim was to deepen the understanding around issues of climate change and receive feedback from the wider oil and gas industry on the energy transition. We planned a series of these dialogues over 2020 with Global Scope, and we'll be discussing other topics like CCUS and collaborative action, among others. Our discussion today will focus on methane emissions in the oil and gas industry value chain and how industry is responding, the need for ongoing response and innovation going forward, and also as we um, look toward the need for methane reduction and decarbonization, we see a number of challenges ahead. Our initial collaboration has expanded, and today SPE, OGCI, IOGP, and IEA, as well as Darcy Spady, a past SPE president representing Carbon Connect International, have come together to form our panel. And my distinguished guests include Julian Perez, the Vice President of Strategy and Policy at OGCI Climate Investments, Tim Gould, the Head of Division for the World Energy Outlook and Investment at IEA, Wendy Brown, the Environment Director at IOGP, and then again, Darcy Spady, Managing Partner for Carbon Connect International. And really to, to kick this thing off today, we'd like to set the stage uh, with a fundamental question. Why is methane emission reduction a priority for the oil and gas industry? Thanks for the question. I think I'm going to jump in first. Uh, the little guy who, uh, who uh, has spent some time in the SP world and is very thankful that we're discussing this, quite honestly, as a former SP president, this is a, an incredible day and I, I, can't, I, I can't be happier than the group of panelists I'm surrounded by. But the biggest the biggest issue, why is this a priority? It's 25 worse, uh, 25 times worse than uh, than CO2 from a from a global warming perspective. So methane is super important. It's an easy win. The technology exists. Everything we are trying to fix in the space, or most things we're trying to fix, we installed. We know where they are. Uh, and then we have the added benefit of of completion technology, you know, who's been thinking about temporary installations like post-frac flowbacks and things like this. So I think it's a great easy start that we can demonstrate to the world that we're serious about climate um, things in general. We don't want to debate. We want to fix problems that are easy to easy to fix. And, and with pressure from financial institutions, from the public, uh, we have a chance to really come out of the gate strong, have some solid easy wins, and do a lot of good for the planet. That's how I'd answer the first question of why it's a priority. Thanks, Darcy. I think you bring a, a unique perspective as a petroleum engineer. Maybe I can um, chip in as Tim Gould from the International Energy Agency. Certainly agree with everything that uh, that Darcy said. I think this is uh, this is should be considered an easy win. Um, uh, we should also remember that. Um, the oil and gas sector isn't the only source of methane emissions. It's not the only source of, uh, of sort of man-made methane emissions, but it might be the one that's easiest to mitigate. Um, unlike CO2, sort of methane has commercial value, so any methane that's captured can be monetized. And, and we have to recognize that that's probably easier to do in the oil and gas sector than elsewhere in the energy sector. And it's probably easier in the energy sector than it is in agriculture, which is the other main source of uh, anthropogenic methane emissions. So the oil and gas has an opportunity because the emissions reductions here 
can result in economic savings, can be realized at lower cost. And of course, it's a critically important element of the, in a sense, the future of these liquids and gases in the global energy system. Thank you, Tim. I'll contribute now. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, for me, it's simple. Uh, two two main reasons. Um, as Darcy and, and Tim have just said, it's the right thing to do for the planet. Um, and the second, the credibility of gas as a solution for the energy transition depends on mm -hmm. our ability to tackle methane emissions. Mm -hmm. So that's undoubtedly uh, one of the most important reasons. Um, the role of gas is challenged worldwide. Um, and, you know, convincing people that gas is no better and even worse than coal because of methane. Um, so we, we need to really tackle the methane emissions, even though, as Tim has said, um, oil and gas uh, emissions represent, you know, a relatively small part of the overall methane emissions um, of the order of 12 percent. Uh, it's something that we can we can do it and we have to do it. So it's, it is very important for our, for our industry. If, if, I may, if I may jump in as well, just to also complete what's, what my colleagues say, and I feel very humble uh, to speak uh, right after all of them. Um, I think the, the, maybe in addition to what, I, what was said, uh, the, the, the saving potential on methane and the consequences of the temperature increase uh, could be quite summarized as well by the fact that as of today, methane is estimated to be responsible of the quarter of the temperature increase that we experience. So it's quite an important greenhouse gas that has been roughly neglected, I think, in most of the case for the past decades because it was less known than the CO2. So the attention was less important on methane. But now we realize that we can make a lot of saving on that, particularly because you can reduce the stock of methane present in the atmosphere uh, by playing on the on the flow, uh, considering that the lifetime of methane is relatively short compared to CO2. So by playing on the flow, you can reduce the stock relatively easily. And so you can address a quarter of the issue uh, in a very quick manner. And, and it's true that the oil and gas industry has clearly a role to play. It represents a portion of the issue, but a portion that can be addressed and fixed because the technology is there and because probably um, the, 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 the sources of methane in the oil and gas industry are certainly concentrated across a very small number of big emitters. So um, in terms of uh, a cost-efficient analysis, make you quickly um, um, conclude that this is the things to address. That's a really interesting point, Julian, that, the, that there's a few things that we can do, not everything, that can make a big, a big shift and a big change. Um, thanks for adding that perspective. You know, we've been seeing quite a number of really ambitious announcements coming in from oil and gas companies. Various CEOs are making public statements, and it's it's sort of an exciting time for the industry in terms of uh, the intent of these these um, statements of ambition. And you know, thinking about methane reduction specifically, as opposed to let's say a compliance activity, um, is the pace of change coming along fast enough for the, the sector in light of all the pressure that we're seeing from society and from investors? Maybe I can say a couple of words on that. I, I certainly agree it's an exciting time. There are some very interesting commitments being made, some quite far-reaching commitments being made. Um, but from our perspective, from the International Energy Agency, you know, we see that the overall pace of change is still well short of what is potentially available and what would be needed to really tackle climate change. Um, so around 80 million tons a year in our estimation of methane leaks, methane emissions from oil and gas operations. So we reckon that around 75% of that could be technically possible to abate. Uh, and more than 40% of that total, uh, we think could be abated at no net cost. So like the value of the captured methane would be higher than the abatement measure. Um, and in our view, there's still a lot of work to do to really ingrain that culture of methane abatement into company operations in the same way that you've seen for safety over, over, over many decades. Now, the good news is, and this you can see from some of the leading companies, that when companies focus on it, they've shown that it's possible to get the emissions down. They've found that it's very cost effective. They've typically found that it's 
easier and cheaper than they had anticipated up front. Um, but there is that wide spectrum of performance across the industry. Some are doing very well. Um, but I have to say that there are others who are simply not paying as much attention to this issue. There's governance issues, there's operational practices. And, and so the issue is not just about raising standards among the best, just to get attention to this from across the whole spectrum of industry actors. And that, I think, is a crucial challenge. It's one that we've been talking with OGCI about. Um, you know, how do you focus not just on your own performance, but how do you really spread those best practices across the industry as a whole? That's such a great point. Well, I'm, I'll jump in. I'm, I'm thrilled to be in a jurisdiction uh, in Alberta where we're leading the way. I know there's other jurisdictions on earth, but one thing I'm seeing is through the practice of methane measurement and emission, uh, we get very good at what we're doing and the costs come down. So all of a sudden you're leaving one or 2% of more gas in the sales line and you're breeding technology, developing technology in a very cost-effective space with lots of little participants, which I might add is good for COVID because it means lots of little contractors on the ground doing lots of little things. So it's it's really good to be in a jurisdiction that's practicing because as we learn, we can roll it out to the rest of the globe. As you referred to, Tim, in your comments, that it's not just the leaders, but everybody has to do it. But it's coming, it's easy, it's cost-effective, and it's there. So I, I think I think there's a really bright future in the rollout part. Yeah, and if, if I can maybe come in here, um, we've, we've been collecting data for the last 20 years from our members, and we see big differences in different regions of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, for example, Europe, the methane intensity is about half of what we see, um, mm. you know, at the global level. Um, and we also see, um, you know, big differences between different different members. Um, I mean, overall, I would say that the pace of change is probably not fast enough. Um, mm. I think everything our industry is doing, you know, is really commended. But at the global level, we really need to step up the pace and drive improvement across the whole industry. Yeah. And I think, we, we, you know, there are some real pockets of good practice, as you would say. You know, there's some excellent examples. And I think um, if you look at the IEA methane tracker, um, some fantastic examples there where, for example, you take Norway, where um, their numbers were 24 times higher than they actually were. And they, 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 they came in, they, they, they showed um, all the good work that they were doing. Um, and um, obviously, some of our members, particularly the OGCI companies, um, you know, that they, they do have a very good level of performance and we just need to really make sure that we get that level uh, extended across the whole industry. So, you know, there's a lot of efforts ongoing to try and achieve that. But, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done still. Uh, Trey, I'll just comment on the, uh, uh, on the OGCI side, but um, as Wendy highlighted, uh, our, our companies are starting from quite low because the... Uh, if you look at the methane intensity uh, over the gas that is delivered to the market, we, we emit 0.32 percent in 2017 of methane, and they have committed collectively to reach um, 0.25 by 2025, and potentially 0.2, which is our ambition. So, if you translate that into um, a slope or a trend of reduction, that means a reduction from one fifth to one third. And as Tim highlighted, we try to expand this um, intensity as some kind of um, a good practice standard that we would like other companies to 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 look at. So, if if the rest of the industry was doing the same as as we do, we estimate that um, the saving could be roughly around 25 million tons of methane. Uh, assisted with the ambition and that translates if you take the global warming potential uh, of 30 roughly that means nearly one gigaton of co2 uh, saving potential uh, and the world is emitting 50 to make a rounded figure uh, team under your control again i feel very humble to, to speak about figure in front of the iea but uh, <laughs> that's roughly speaking the the, the range of figure uh, so that's a big that's a big saving potential, and that's why also we engage with a number of players uh, outside of the, the value chain, but also with countries, uh, for them to set up those those uh, those target ahead and, and give the 
give basically the direction of travel that each of us will have to follow in the next few years to make that happen. You know, getting a handle on O&M uh, to, you know, as a real driver for making a, a, a dent in the reduction of methane emissions. But I think it might even go a little further back in the design, you know, starting from the design into the yeah. O&M, you know, there's a lot of opportunity and we're, you know, what are the what are the things we're seeing that are going to be making a shift in that sort of dimension? Um, you know, for example, why are we still designing facilities that have known methane emitters in terms of the uh, uh, the equipment that we know uh, we know it already? Uh, why does that continue to happen? What's the what's the driver for that? Well, I, I think uh, you know one one driver is to know where the emissions come from, and there is a need to improve uh, the quality of the information of um, where the emission happened, because most of the time the methane emission are associated with leaks, uh, and so uh, being able to detect where the emission have come from is the probably the first step, and then you can fix them. So um, you know you can act on things that you can measure uh, and that you can you know so. I think that's probably one thing that where the technology improvement helped a lot uh, because we have uh, been equipped by the market uh, with a number of new technology in the past recent years and those are working pretty well so I, i'm pretty sure that this is going to happen in the next uh, you know in the next few years probably going to see a change in trends in, in in that in that domain thank you all um i was going to follow up with another question related to near-term priorities for the industry, kind of following on from that uh, discussion. Um, you know, so, so what are the top near-term priorities and what can the industry do to make a step change in methane emission reduction? Okay, well, thanks, uh, uh, Trey. I'll have a go at that. Um, I think it's a massive subject and we could spend a long time. Um, I'm just gonna maybe highlight um, three, three main areas that I think could be uh, key to this. Um, I think the first one, and we've touched on it a little bit already, but is improvement of data accuracy. Um, now, as, as Julien said, and, and I think Tim, um, the, there's big, there's high uncertainty in, in the numbers. Um, and essentially a robust fit for purpose, monitoring, reporting, verification of methane emissions um is what we need um and we need that to provide consistent transparent emissions data for, by you know from all the all the companies emitting um so that's that's the number one uh, without a doubt um and we can talk more about that there's a number of things ongoing and started um which will help uh number two is uh, if companies can all follow the methane um, emissions best practices. Um, and here I'm going to give a shout out to the methane guiding principles best practices toolkit. Um, if all the companies were following all those best practices, that would be a fantastic uh, start as well. Um, and they include, you know, all the different areas from, from flaring, pneumatic devices, and of course, uh, leak detection and repair. Um, and the third um, is to establish methane emissions targets. So I think those three, um, you know, if all, all the companies really worked on following those, that, that that could make a real step change in the industry. So we can certainly talk in more detail about all of those. Um, but that, I would say, I don't know what you others think on, the, on that, but... Uh, those are my three top uh, recommendations. Maybe I can uh, say a couple of words on this uh, tray because I mean, it's to me that we're all agreeing that this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. That really begs the question about well, why isn't it happening then? You know, if there is an opportunity here, if it delivers these benefits, if a lot of it can be cost-effective, then then what what is what's the what's the problem in a sense for to to address this? And I think few things that we probably need to be aware of, and many of them dovetail with what Wendy was just saying. I mean, it could be a lack of information about the problem, so a lack of measurement, a lack of awareness about emissions levels or the cost effectiveness of, of action. Sometimes it's an infrastructure issue, um, you know, you have a saturated local market that makes it difficult to match your additional gas to a productive use, but often you just don't get the incentives in place. 
the competition for capital within the company, or it could be insufficiently quick perceptions of payback periods, also because you're not valuing that climate benefit from, from methane, or you're just, you have these split incentives where the owner of the equipment doesn't directly benefit from reducing leaks, or the owner of the gas infrastructure doesn't see its, its full value. So in a sense, tackling some of those barriers is, is also going to be um, important. But as has been said, you know, there are ways of doing that. And so, you know, it's a really a question of, of building up that momentum. And, and, and in our view, um, you know, there is a role for, for, for well-designed regulation. I mean, you know, coming from Canada, you know that very well. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting area for, for many countries, including in Europe, to be looking at. That's excellent. Trey, I'm going to jump in with a comment, uh, two comments. One is the importance of baseline. I mean, part of what we in our organization like to call MEM is methane measurement and mitigation. So before we measure it, before we have that baseline, uh, we're kind of wandering around talking about things, but it's so important to get that baseline and understand the, the measurement and then we mitigate. But I just want to reach out to all the the more average petroleum engineer SPE members that are maybe pro probably not on this call, uh, and, and we have so many bad practices to Wendy's point number two about best, best practices. How many times in the drilling and completion world did we see in the procedure vent to atmosphere? Who's the guy on the valve bar blowing back the whatever to the sky? These are practices that us old geezers did for years and years in the field. We can't do them anymore. And so I think part of the step change is the, num the younger generation understands that the, the comment vent to atmosphere or blow down as a procedure is unacceptable. We have to put that gas, that effluent, that emission, we have to put it somewhere. And that is part of the change of the greater body of SPE members like, no, you don't vent atmosphere, that is incorrect. So there's a there's a psychological change to, to Wendy's point number two as well. I was, I was thinking as I was listening to Wendy that, you know, we're talking about, I think we're talking in this context about actual measurement not in terms of compliance reporting, which may not be an actual measurement. So how are we gonna shift from, let's say a compliance mentality to an actual measurement mentality and knowing what our baseline is? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, Wendy provided a good example of, uh, you know, there's been a number of uh, interesting measurement campaigns that have taken place in, in Norway. There's been a number in North America. Um, you know, that is just essential information. You know, by and large, when you start to have real readings about methane emissions, you do understand that those desktop calculations based on emissions factors, they can be off by, by, a, by a considerable amount. Um, that said, you know, the, the, some of the new data that's becoming available, particularly from aerial measurements and even satellite data, um, that's going to introduce a lot of transparency into this picture, uh, particularly for, for some of the larger intermittent but very significant uh, uh, leaks. Uh, so there's there are new sources of data that will become available um, that will show which jurisdictions and which companies are paying attention to this issue and, and in a sense where the laggards are as well. So in a sense there is there is transparency coming and it's in the interest of companies, it's the interest of companies uh, of, of countries uh, to, to, to know that there will be a light shined on, on, on where those leaks are taking place. But that's an interesting point, you know, sort of the democratization of information and, and the information relative to society. But it also probably points to something else that you were talking about is the, the democratization of information within companies so that the engineers and the people that are trying to solve these problems understand um, what's happening so that they can begin to make the changes needed on the design stage, on the o &M, on the design front, O&M, and the various, um, let's say, stages of, a, of the life cycle of an asset. Um, does anybody else have a comment on, on this particular topic? Uh, if, if I may try, uh, just, uh, just to, to echo what, what Tim was saying, I think there is uh, clearly the emission factor were built on very old uh, data and, and the need to like introduce the technology um, uh, you know, capacity to have a better understanding of where the emission are happening or where the continuous emission could happen. Uh, and, and so progressively as well, you know, improve 
those bottom-up versus top-down approach uh, and close the gap progressively because uh, th there will be a need also for the very small producer uh, and I'm thinking of the Permian for instance uh, where they may not have the capacity to have a drone campaign on regular basis or LDAR campaign on regular basis but if by the technology and if by uh, having an approach where we compare what the measurement offer and what the emission on the engineering calculation can do and close those gaps and get very much more precise approach that would definitely help as well uh, the industry to progressively change the mindset as you said and and, and tackle the issue and and also having the country to set up the appropriate standards uh, for for the industry to follow um, and, and so have a better control etc etc so it's really like we're really in the on the edge of changing uh, uh, the approach on methane because we realize that this is an important topic but also at the same time we have the technology that is appearing and that enable us to to tackle it uh, in a much much more meaningful way you know convincing um internal managers about uh, making these investments and i think one of the underlying issues there is you know integrating you know cost of carbon into your business planning would be a, a one way to shift it because obviously that's going to be a factor if you're integrating some cost of carbon into the into the um, uh, business case. I, I think the bankers are going to make it really easy because the people who fund the banks are saying they're the general population and they're saying, people, we need to think about the environment. So Mr. Banker, Ms. Banker, you're not giving a loan to this oil company unless they can account for carbon. So I think the world is changing very rapidly. And from a business case, if companies start realizing, you know, when I was shipping gas, you'd get the monthly reports and they had a, a column called shrinkage. And that was a whole bunch of different things, including, you know, facilities, costs and losses and this and that. Well, I'd bet 2% of that shrinkage was nothing that was vented. That's 2% more sales gas net in the line. So there is a business case. We have to start thinking about it. I was just going to uh, follow on from what Julian said in terms of all the new technologies that are coming in. Um, and okay, they may be expensive initially, but we're seeing in some countries operators collaborating together um, and you know sharing facilities. Like you said, it may not be possible for everyone to have their own drone or you know satellite aircraft. You know, they're, they're definitely. Um, opportunities there for collaboration in different regions um, and that's something that, that we're seeing and we're encouraging and you know in in the Netherlands for example you know they've done campaigns you know uh, over the whole region um, you know and set you know massive 50% uh, reduction targets so I think you know you need to be working in coordination with others and in collaboration to make things as economical as possible. I just chip in to say that um, you know if if you do start to introduce a a price on carbon or a price on carbon equivalents, uh, which you know many companies say that they're doing as they screen projects and so on, um, but in some jurisdictions it's it's mandated by regulation. You know then the other bits of the methane chain that is currently kind of non-economic, that quickly becomes economic. If you have a price of uh, no, $15 a ton of CO2, you know, pretty much all of that 75% that's technically abatable, you know, becomes an economic proposition. And um, so, you know, that, that, if you look at all of the different ways in which you can abate emissions and you put them all on a sort of, yeah. methane is among the cheapest way to deliver, to deliver uh, emissions across the whole spectrum of energy-related emissions, and um, so that's why it, it also needs to be a priority from a from a policy perspective. I wanted to see if I could introduce a, another question, thinking longer term, about policy regulations and detection and measurement. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on key areas that should be given special attention by the industry to move the methane reduction needle even further. Um, is there, we've sort of been touching at it a little bit, but are there, you know, what, what have we not covered um, that would be worth um, discussing? Yeah, I, I can I can start on this one if you allow me, uh, Trey. Uh, I think well, we've touched some of the some of the topic, and and the last point made by Tim was was very spot on. I, I believe uh, the one related to regulation is is absolutely critical. Uh, we definitely need to have 
um, regulation tackling specifically methane emission for, for the oil and gas industry because you need to get a level playing field and the direction of travel given by uh, the regulator at some stage. So I think that's that's a, that's a very first uh, things that we, we definitely need to work on and that's uh, as OGCI we work on uh, with, with, uh, with the policymaker. And to do that, uh, that means that you have to, to get some standards across the industry on how you can address the methane, how you're going to um, detect and mitigate the methane emission. And there is a number of initiatives that are going on uh, within this space. Uh, OGCI is playing in. Uh, we work with IPK and OGP uh, to, set, uh, to, to develop a set of recommended practice uh, that could be used as a framework and then potentially be get, getting transformed into um, or inform the, the policymaker on how things could be done, the methane getting principle as well are making a tremendous work on, on this domain, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a number of players involved, but that needs you know an alignment across the industries and and and, and work with the policymaker to 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 set the appropriate standard on on detection, mitigation, and then on quantification, reporting, verification, which is the, the needed level playing field when when you have to set up a regulation. And then there is all this work that go on with uh, engagement with uh, the countries that needs to 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 set that up because um, when you look at the um, at the you know the, the developed countries or some of the countries have already a good climate regulation in place or climate framework that enable those methane regulation to be put in place but actually looking at the other countries where most of the oil and gas industry uh, most of the oil and gas actually is extracted um, taking into consideration Africa for instance uh, they they may not have this capacity to date and engaging with those countries and explaining what can be done and to allow them to make the leapfrog uh, toward the appropriate regulation straight away and the appropriate policy is probably something that here again, um, the group of oil and gas industry like OGCI can do. And then there is the, the, the last point I would say where the industry could put their eyes on is obviously uh, what we said earlier, the technology. And what the what the technology can bring, like between the traditional technology, like the laser uh, or the optical gas imaging, uh, like infrared camera, or the emerging technologies, like uh, again the, the the aircraft and satellite and others, all those combination of technology could probably bring a lot uh, to the industry. And, and scaling them up is quite important. Recently, for instance, uh, our investment fund OGCICI made a major call for projects uh, that is still ongoing. Actually, it's been launched last week, I believe, uh, to, to, to make a call for commercial project to happen. And so we're ready to invest in those to, to scale up and bring to the volume effect. So yeah, focusing on technology is, is, is another area where I feel that we, we can bring a lot. That's excellent. I, I would add to this, that, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a jurisdiction that takes us seriously. Um, in Alberta here, we have, we have a very good regulator that has directives out there that very specifically lay out the flaring, the incinerating, the venting, and the measurement. Uh, our fellow provinces of British Columbia and Saskatchewan do the same. So I'm blessed, but I suddenly have an obligation as, a, as an SPE member, as a citizen of the world. We have an obligation to spread that technology globally, and it's groups like my fellow pal, panel members here that, that are doing such an excellent job of rolling out the best practices to the world. So, so I'm, I'm in a funny space. I'm thankful, but I, the obligation grows for us to, to get it out there to everybody else. And it's so important to have a, a strong regulatory framework that's meaningful and reasonable and practical. It's, it's interesting building on a comment that Darcy had made earlier that bankers are going to make this easier. Um, and I, I agree with that. You know, the investment community is moving much faster than, let's say, other, other areas to put pressure and, and to cause change. Um, but I think this is an interesting point. Uh, this uh, participant is uh, making money moves at the speed of trust. And I know trust is a big issue for the industry. So the question is, how do we become more trustworthy and then be seen to be more trustworthy on the methane emission issue? It's a big, it's a, it's like a, like if you could solve that one, you could probably tie a Gregorian knot, but uh, the, uh, uh, it's a, it's an, a really fundamental challenge for the industry. Yeah, I, I would say um, by being, you know, more, having been more robust, accurate, transparent with their data um, and setting targets and, and delivering on those. Um, I think we, we've come we've come back to that many times, but 
Um, I think, you know, it's fair to say many of our members participate, um, you know, either in OGCI or in this oil and gas methane partnership. And, and they're just bringing in this, this what they're calling the gold standard, the 2.0 reporting framework, um, which is very much five different levels. Um, and if you work towards the highest levels, four and five, um, there, you know, that is very much something that um, is probably going to be launched this summer. And it's something that, um, you know, a lot of people are being encouraged to, to, um, to sign up to and meet. Um, and this will help, you know, the data and the, the emissions to be much more accurate. Um, and it will involve, uh, as uh, Julien has already touched on, you know, not just the bottom-up estimations and measurements, but also the top-down reconciliation. Um, and I think, um, you know, that will help um, uh, build the trust because the top-down, you know, will be data collected, you know, by others, or it will be data that... Um, you know, is sort of cross-checking. So I think all of that will help to build the trust. But um, yeah, I think uh, we're on the right track in, in, in for some of this, but uh, there's a, a way to go for sure. You know, so SPE is the Society of Petroleum Engineers. And I frequently hear with this uh, society that, you know, we, we know a lot. We know a lot about the geology. We know a lot about the technology that we're being, that's being deployed to, uh, produce these resources. And so I think within the industry, there's a belief that we have a high level of competence in, in this subject. And there's a relationship between your competence and trust. And it's just trans, you know, getting through the, through the, the barriers really to, to have you uh, have your competence be able to be trusted. Um, I think that's a challenge for the industry. And it's also a situation where we have, you know, um, the need to listen and be very, very intently listening to make sure that we're understanding what we need to do. And I think that's a little bit of a shift because also um, we may have a tendency to not listen as carefully. I think that is changing right now uh, significantly. And I think as evidence, uh, I don't think the CEO statements that I alluded to earlier in, in that initial, in one of our initial questions, those, these are not uh, questions that are, or these are not ambitions that are being stated without intent to fulfill these ambitions. So it's a big, it's a big opportunity right now for the industry. I wonder if anybody has further thoughts on this. I do on the competency and trust. Sorry, sorry Julian and, uh, Ian, uh, and uh, Tim. I, as SPE president, I went around to a lot of places, 49 countries uniquely. And uh, I know that Sammy, who's, who's on this uh, broadcast, followed me with the same message. And, and you meet so many engineers and you get the question, why don't people listen? We have competency. We know what we're doing. And the answer I gave over and over was we have to be humans. Stop telling people how smart we are, how good we are, how wonderful we are. Let's be good humans. If you have a chance to have a neighbor that's an engineer or a neighbor that's an artist or a musician, or some completely different industry, pick that neighbor because we need to be citizens of earth and the world is gonna only trust us after 10 or 20 years of being part of them, not us apart from them telling how good we are. So competency and, and trust is a huge issue. We have competency, no problem. We have to earn trust and sorry to say, it's gonna take us 20 more years to get that back. Maybe I can um, just add a word on that, because I think we've talked a lot about data baselines, and these are incredibly important. But just linking that data to trust, we need to be able to show not just that we have a handle on the on the data. We need to be able to show that that data demonstrates a reduction and it demonstrates a reduction. I mean, yeah, this needs to happen within the next few years, um, because that's the crucial timeline that we're talking about now. Um, so it, this is not a question of, you know, building up the competency. We know enough about the problem. We know enough about the technologies. Uh, we know enough about the approaches to abatement. And this is really the moment when we have to take sort of credible, demonstrable action on, on this. And, and as uh, numerous speakers have said, you know, that should be within the, the reach of, 
of, of, of the competence of the petroleum engineers and other professionals in this industry. If I may just jump in, I think when it comes to our member companies and the fact that we've set up this baseline and this target and how confident that we have actually the right data to set up those targets and those baselines, there's multiple things that we're, we're trying to achieve as the technology develops and as the, 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 the mindset is changing and as we're trying to close this bottom up and top-down uh, approach that, you know, we deploy campaigns of measure. Uh, our member companies are taking care about that and they, they, develop those, they deploy it. And within OGCI, we try to push them to, to expand uh, the, 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 the volume of gas that is covered by those type of campaigns. So that's one thing that we work on and we share knowledge across our member companies. But we have also built up a, a partnership with Environmental Defense Fund and the Climate Clean Air Coalition to test and try uh, technologies and how um, you know accurate the methane emission estimated are versus the technologies again to try to close the gap and make sure that we have some kind of a realistic picture or if not we can correct it uh, and lastly um, the thing that I think we are also trying to push within the, the, the regulation and the, the monitoring reporting is the part of verification and I think having a third party coming in and verify that what you say is what you do and particularly as OGCI, because we have 12 companies and we need to align the, 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 the reporting methodology across those 12. Uh, we, we hire this, this kind of services with a third party coming in and checking what we do is, is what we say and, and vice versa. So I think the, the, the combination of those actions allow you to increase the accuracy, but as Darcy say, I mean, we have to be humble and we have to be human. Uh, the uncertainty is part of, of, of the equation. We have to reduce it as the maximum, uh, but we have also to be humble and, and recognize it. So as I'm sitting here thinking about this discussion, I, I before I move on to another question, the bonus question that we were talking about earlier, um, does anybody have any additional thoughts that you'd, you'd like to add? Because um, it's interesting, some of these, these questions, you know, I, I still feel to a certain extent extent that we're in the beginning of we're beginning to improve and actually report these data this baseline data and there's still a long way to go um, one of the one of the questions that um, we're seeing here is you know how good is the data but I, that's a that's sort of like a can of worms and I'm, I'm reluctant to sort of open it up but I, I think I think we should maybe you know talk about it a little bit because I, I, I think we're we're in the at a moment when it's improving. Um, and is there any sense of how long it's going to take us to get to the moment when we'll say, we've got it? Um, will we ever be there? I know that's sort of a really broad question, but I'm just curious if we, if we think that there's a, an end, because at some point people, people want to see that, you know, we've got it. Darcy talked about a timeline of 20 years, and, and, and it could be a long time, but 20 years seems like an awfully long time compared to the ambitions that have been announced by various CEOs. Mm. And I know you were speaking extemporaneously. Yeah, not really intending me to glue it to this particular line of discussion, but I do think it's going to be a challenge, and and it will take some movement um, by all parties. Yeah. Well, I would just I would just say that uh, what we've been seeing. Um, I mean, if we even want to link it to the current context with the low oil price, the COVID, the energy transition, all these challenges being faced by our members. Um, and even though they're all having to reduce costs, um, I would say without a doubt, the majority of the companies are still prioritizing work that is reducing their carbon footprint. So mm -hmm. I think that they're still prioritizing this sort of, um, this sort of, you know, this aspect um, and they still see the importance of uh, lowering their carbon footprint and, and these sort of things are still getting priority. So, um, and I think as, as we said right at the beginning, you know, the, the fact that um, it's a short-lived um, climate, um, you know, powerful greenhouse gas with very, you know, in the short term, it's something that we, we have to work on, you know, immediate, you know, in, in the next 10, 20 years. So, um, and I think a lot of companies realize that. Well, you, you mentioned uh, COVID-19 and that's sort of a very, you know, everybody obviously notices that we're all, you know, coming together, not from our, our offices, but from our homes. 
And um, I'm curious, are, are we seeing any kind of impact on the low carbon economy transition uh, related to COVID-19 or what's the, what are you guys seeing from, from that standpoint? Well, I kind of tipped my hand earlier, so I'm going to finish what I said. I, I think it's great, the methane uh, emission reduction field, the measuring of it. It's, it's a great time, and COVID isn't hindering it because it's a lot of small businesses. These aren't mega projects with crowded sites and lots of people. These are a lot of small technologies or a guy in an airplane or a guy with a detection device or somebody welding something. Uh, and installing something. And this is a lot of little businesses. This is good for the Permian. This is good for Romania. This is good for Western Canada. It's lots and lots of little small businesses with one or two people separated by two meters and able to wear a mask. <laughs> Can I chip in a couple of comments on that? I mean, we recently came out with some analysis on how to build in sustainability to recovery strategies. Um, and one of the aspects that we looked at was precisely this one. So everyone is aware that there are job losses in the oil and gas chain, supply and services in particular. Um, now, there, it's possible, as, as the Canadian example shows, to dedicate some resources as part of your recovery strategy to get those people to work on abandoned orphan wells or on uh, methane abatement. Now, that seems a, a very sensible way to, to you know, marry the employment um, imperative with the environmental imperative. And on the broader question about whether the pandemic and what does it mean for energy transitions, um, I think we have to have one overarching thing in mind. Everyone is, I think, aware that CO2 emissions have come down or are likely to come down quite significantly for the year of 2020. They've come down for all the wrong reasons. So they've come down because of declining economic activity. It's come at a huge a human social economic cost. If we get emissions into structural decline, we have to change the structure of the energy system. And, and until we actually focus on those measures, and then you know a rebound in economic activity is going to lead to a rebound uh, in emissions. So let's uh, let's keep our eyes on the prize there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, if I, if I can just uh, echo what, uh, what Tim was saying about this uh, overarching uh, issue of uh, low carbon transition versus COVID and then zoom on the, the methane. So I, I, of course, agree with, with what, what Tim was saying. And I think actually uh, under your control here, Tim, uh, again, that's uh, basically the, the, the potential reduction of CO2 emission that we've seen during the coronavirus crisis and, and the end of the year will, will confirm that was roughly speaking the trend that has to be followed to reach the 1.5 degree scenario over the next uh, decades. So that's, that show us the, the, you know, the level of ambition and the level of transformation that we have to go. And that's why a massive effort from, from all parties, including the Ontario oil and gas industry is definitely needed uh, to, to make that happen. But that's also show us that um, uh, the combination of mitigation and uh, technology that allow to capture the CO2 emission and to store them, so the CCUS or the director capture or the nature-based solution have to be part of the equation because it's going to be uh, tremendously, um, uh, um, you know, we're going to probably miss the time to, to meet to meet that goal if we don't put them into the equation. Now, if I zoom on the methane, I, I totally agree with uh, and echo again what, what has been said at the beginning by the panelists, the business case of reducing methane emission is, is more and more shown. Um, there is a lot of action that could be done at a net negative cost. And so, um, you know, what is good for climate here is good for business as well. So uh, I'm pretty sure that within the recovery, that's not going to be dropped. Any other COVID-19? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I would, it's a, it's a very difficult question, uh, Trey. I think um, um, the impact of COVID on the energy transition, I think it could go either way. I think there are two camps, you know, it could accelerate, it could delay. Um, I think from our industry point of view, the direction is clear. We need to achieve the Paris Agreement goals. That hasn't changed, but it's difficult to predict what will be the impact on the energy transition. I think is this unprecedented situation, as we all know, um, and oil and gas companies reducing jobs, investments, but we're not the only ones. The entire humanity is affected. 
Um, so I think it, it's very difficult to predict, but um, all I can say is our members, you know, seem very, very committed and very uh, driven towards uh, achieving the Paris Agreement goals. So um, I think they're very committed to, to keep focused in that direction. Well, on the, at the investor level, it's clear that the investors are not sleeping and um, are continuing to put significant pressure. There's the, the well-known BlackRock letter that's continued to put um, pressure on, on companies and CEOs in particular. And then, of course, Bloomberg has just added quite a number of uh, uh, questions to its, um, some of its um, benchmarking um, data sets. So there there's remains a very high interest at the investor level. And as um, capital becomes more and more precious and, and uh, the need for capital is not gonna go away, um, companies are gonna be responding. And so that's gonna create this dynamic that will be um, ultimately very positive for the industry because the business case will have to be created. Um, there are gonna be some things that companies need to do. And I thought we need to wrap our discussion up because we're approaching the hour. And I thought maybe if, if, if each of you could offer a 30 second highlight from our discussion today that you want to be absolutely sure, I didn't, I didn't mention this earlier, but that you want to leave with, with our audience. What is the one comment um, that you would leave briefly? I would, I would jump in and say technology is available. Let's utilize it as oil and gas people. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I just, nothing much to add, but uh, just, um, you know, we have we have the solution, so we just had to apply it. So uh, I mean, there's no no question and no no, no time to waste. Yeah, I would uh, support both of those. Uh, come back to there's a whole host of best practices out there. We, we can do it. We have to do it, and we just need to get on get on with it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall in line with that. I think it would be difficult in a, in a year or two and have the same discussion. It should be difficult for us to come back in a year or two and have the same discussion. Mm -hmm. We should be able to, you know, industry should be able to put data on the table saying, look, this is where we were, this is where we are today. You know, we're, we're moving. And because there's, there's a sense that that's happening, but it needs to be demonstrable and needs to be backed up by, by, by the data that we've talked about. Well, thank you all. It seems like uh, we were warned that this would go very fast, but uh, it did indeed go very fast. Um, I would like to wrap up by thanking each of you for being here, uh, taking part of your time. Have a great day and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you.